Hey, I hope you're doing well. Have I got a treat for you this single. Perhaps the most thoughtful Christian daring to open his mouth at the moment about sexuality and intersectionality is my mate Sam Albury. Sam's an Englishman and Anglican minister who now lives and works in the US as a pastor, author and much sought after speaker. He breaks a lot of moulds, as you'll soon hear, but he's in the business of putting good things back together. I'm so glad to have Sam on the show. About three years ago, I was invited by a Christian campus ministry at a university in Boston to come and speak on the topic of Christianity and sexuality. It's an area I've done a lot of research and speaking on, as well as something I've had to wrestle with personally. They asked me to help them grasp the essentials of what the Bible teaches on these things. It wasn't intended to be a public event, though anyone was welcome, so much as a teaching session for this particular group. They would meet most weeks for teaching on some particular topic. But word got out that they were having someone come and teach on sexuality, that this someone was me, and before long, there was a call being made for students to protest the event. And around a dozen students turned up 30 minutes before the event with various signs and placards. As it happens, they were the only ones other than me to be there early. And so we had plenty of time to talk. And they were delightful, happy to chat with me and even offered me some of the pizza they'd brought along. I admire protesters. Back in the day, I did a bit of it myself. I asked them if they'd be happy to share the concerns they had about the meeting. One said his concern was that I'd be encouraging bullying against gay people. I told him that I'd experienced some bullying at high school for being gay, and that if this was what the evening was about, I'd want to protest it too. But the main concern that kept coming up was that the meeting would be harmful to gay people, especially gay people of faith. I asked them to unpack what they meant by this. Their conclusion was that any point of view that didn't fully affirm gay people in their identity and lifestyle was harmful. It didn't make any difference if that lack of affirmation was expressed graciously and respectfully. Harm to them simply meant the presence of a viewpoint like mine irrespective of any nuance or of my tone and posture. I might not agree with these students on this point. I obviously don't think my viewpoint on this is harmful, but it's not hard to see how they've come to this conclusion. In Western culture, many voices and groups have been marginalized and mistreated over the years. Gay, lesbian and bisexual people would be but one obvious example. A movie like The Imitation Game shows how terribly many gay people have been treated, even if, in the case of Alan Turing, they had served their society in an extraordinary way. As a culture, we now feel profound regret over past attitudes like this to gay people. The same could be said for any number of other minority groups. 
A natural outworking of this understandable sense of regret is a renewed commitment to make sure such groups are protected from any harm or marginalization in the present day. And so a particular trend is to actively privilege minority voices that had previously been sidelined or silenced. The result is that it is now not meant to be a level playing field. Some voices are given more priority than others. Those that come from minority contexts are given more weight than those from majority groups. And if you come from more than one such minority, your voice is given even greater social status. It's the concept of intersectionality. Just as those who stand at an intersection can see in more directions than those who don't, so too, according to this thinking, those at the intersection of multiple minority and victim groups have more insight to bring to society. So, by this reckoning, a gay black woman speaks with far greater moral authority than a heterosexual white man. Black trans women, black trans people cannot be left out at that moment. We cannot replicate and wait another 50 years for us to be able to try to have some way of creating equality. There's obviously a lot here that needs to be discussed and evaluated. There are legitimate questions to raise about freedom of speech or about the danger of responding to one injustice by perpetuating another, responding to the unjust silencing of some voices by the unjust silencing of others. We might suggest that what matters is not ultimately whether your beliefs and identity put you in a majority or minority grouping, but whether they lead to humility before others and welcome all voices even those that disagree. Not whether you have power, but what your beliefs compel you to do with it. What we need is a viewpoint that uses any power it might have in the service of others, even those who despise it. There is something to the idea that those from minority backgrounds have insights the rest of us might easily miss. All of us have blind spots. In mixed societies, the majority group is often oblivious to its own blind spots in a way that minority groups tend not to be. We can lack self-awareness. We can assume our own experience of life represents reality for everyone. So there is wisdom in paying careful attention to the perspectives of those from different circumstances to our own. Wisdom, in fact, repeatedly encouraged in the pages of Scripture. All of which gives us even more reason to listen to Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus found himself on the rough end of just about every human system he experienced. The Jews were an oppressed people group, and yet he found himself to be something of a rejected minority of one within that group, rejected by the leadership and accused by them of blasphemy. He was brutalized and then executed by the Romans, the dominant global power at the time, who charged him with sedition. He was, after all, claiming to be a king. He was subject to unimaginable injustice. Every system of human power was lined up against him. Even his friends denied, betrayed and abandoned him. So according to intersectionality's own calculus, his voice should carry unchallengeable moral authority. Jesus was subject to horrific injustice on multiple fronts, and yet, interestingly, he never styled himself as a victim. He could have done, and by today's standards, such extreme victimhood 
would accord him significant social status. But Jesus did not style himself as a victim, because doing so would suggest a lack of agency in what was going on. Horrific though the injustice was, it was injustice he chose to experience. On multiple occasions, Jesus predicted what would happen to him once he got to Jerusalem. He predicted the rejection, the execution, the abandonment, and yet he persisted in going ahead to face it. He willingly stepped into the worst form of cruelty and injustice. Doing so was not a stunt. The very charges brought against him show what he understood to be happening. He was accused of blasphemy and sedition. He really did claim to possess divine authority and kingship, which is the ultimate reason we need to listen to him today, not just because he was an outlier on the margins of his own society, but because at the heart of his message is the news that the one with the greatest power imaginable was willing to use that power not to oppress and marginalize others, but to humble himself for the sake of others. We see in him ultimate power being used to serve the very weakest. Could there be a more timely message in our own day? We're working hard on season five of Underceptions. It'll start appearing in your feed in just a few weeks' time. We've got episodes on the good life, aliens, Emperor Constantine, the transgender question, and much more. We're really excited for you to hear what we've come up with. Until then, see ya. You've been listening to the Eternity Podcast Network eternitypodcasts.com.au